This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, people, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number three. We just started the podcast last week, and whether you were there with me then or joining the conversation now, I gotta say I'm having a blast so far. If you like what you hear or have any feedback, please let us know. You can find us at bushwickvarietyshow.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and other places you find podcasts. We're also up and running, or jogging towards a run, on social media. The various social media platforms, that is. Leave a rating or review, or send a message letting us know that you're listening and what you think. This is Monday, so let's start this week off right. I'm super excited to share this conversation I had with Chris Carr. I've known Chris for a long time, since our Potion Collective days. How can I describe Chris Carr? Brilliant. Amazing. Insightful. Genuine. Creative. Inventive. He's an MC, a photographer, a curator of events and festivals, a cultivator of culture, a Bushwick legend who still lives in Bushwick, a friend, and a human and artist that I greatly admire. He had a lot to say and was great at saying it, so let's not waste any more time. Let's have a conversation. So, man, how you doing? Good. Just got off the bike. Yep. Uh, what are you working on uh, at the moment? Wow. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, that's hard to say. I am constantly finishing projects, starting new projects, and continuing ongoing projects. So, again, everybody, my name is Chris Carr. I live out in Brooklyn, grew up in D.C. I lived in Atlanta for a while, and I make art. I am a conceptual artist. I use a number of different media to convey my ideas, and I tend to collaborate with people a lot. So that's still happening, and so in terms of what I'm doing, includes a lot of other people. So I run an art space with Melissa Hunter Gurney. We also have a magazine that we put out. We're working on a new issue. <clears throat> uh, what's the name of the art space? The art space is Gamba, and the magazine or literary journal is Gambazine. And we run an art space in Greenpoint. We have an event tonight. We normally do about two or three events a week, sometimes more depending on rental. The winter is like kind of a chill time. Spring, summer is going to be fun. And we ran a white box gallery last year and moved around September to the new space, which is much larger. Uh, so working on that, that is occupying a lot of my time and getting the space transformed. The space we had last year was, again, white box. You move in, everything's all nice and painted, and you can't change much. Like, we can put art up on the wall, and we can do things and have to repaint later, but no structural changes. And it was in an office park of sorts of uh, commercial spaces. So there's a recording studio where Action Bronson worked out of, Young M.A., there was an insurance office, so we had to be kind of careful with the events we did, and we were limited on people going outside. Like, the neighbors would trip. They are kind of scared of black people and scared of people with green hair, and, you know, kind of, they were in their square boxes. 
Um, and so this new space, we moved in, and there was no concrete in the floors, bro. It was like rubble and filled with trash. And so the first thing was getting concrete laid and turning it into a space we could even start to work out of, and then getting the electrical done and having the landlord do the things he was supposed to do with the heating and the wiring and all these things we didn't have to do. Yeah. And so now we're getting into the real, like, cool. We've had some construction done. We had to do a big fundraiser. Uh, got some walls built. Got a door put in. Got the heat working better. You know, weather's starting to change. We can do indoor-outdoor. So we're getting on the programming for that. Like, right now I'm thinking of really how to utilize that space and to make it more of a community space than just a venue or, like, a, a definitely not like a club. But where during the day we have classes that might involve, like, nutrition and fitness and health. Um, like a community uh, center arts community arts center something like that without the we're here for the kids part right more so just a place to where if you're an artist <clears throat> you can show up and you know there'll be like-minded people or there'll be people that you could learn some things from or there'll be people who are working on something creatively that might inspire you or you may be able to contribute to um and and not have to be in necessarily a particular coffee shop or not necessarily if you work from home it'll be a space where you can come hang out with other creatives and artists and not honestly have to pay like for a co-working space right um and so with that it's just been trying to line up more events there trying to figure out how we're going to use the space and and really me getting out of live venues like for the past two years or so i've put a lot of time and effort into shows at venues even before that i was but like i made a concerted effort in the past two years to do more shows than everybody mm -hmm. book as many shows as possible and so I worked with tons of venues through hundreds of shows in the past couple of years. And I'm more interested in culture building. I'm more interested in places where you're not there with the sole purpose of just getting hammered and trying to pick up a boy, girl in between or whatever. And there's a sense of community and there's a sense of I'll remember you the next day. There's a sense of let's work together. Let's collaborate. Let's maybe two years from now still be hanging out <laughs> and doing things together. And I enjoy venues also. I still am doing the summer festival coming up uh, in end of August to September. And so, uh, Brooklyn Wildlife? Yeah, Brooklyn Wildlife Summer Festival 2018. And so I will be utilizing venues. You know, right. paper boxes held us down. Bazaars held us down. Um, there are a number of venues that I appreciate, but there are far more that do not appreciate us. And I've been giving them business. I've been promoting them. I've been pushing their agenda, their themes for years now. And I'd rather push Gamba. I'd rather push Ohene's projects when he's trying to go to Vietnam. I'd rather push my friends like Nissa, who have run Living Gallery now for like five or six years, and the, the things that she's working on. I'd rather put my time and effort into the artists like Crimdella that have strong projects and are putting a lot of time and effort into releasing and need to be heard by more people, need to connect with more people. And so I wanted to get behind acts more so than venues. I want to pick certain artists to work with, not be their manager, not be their agent, but honestly utilize the fact that I have relationships with venues, I do photo and video, have fun with the social media. We can try to amplify the voice of certain artists. We can try to use Brooklyn Wildlife as a, a platform, as it was intended, to make people aware of this independent community. Um, and so I, I want to focus a lot more of my attention on that and not come to this venue, come yeah. to this venue, come to this venue, come to this venue, because I was doing that five nights out of the week. You're one of the first people I wanted to talk to about this project, um, have on this show, because I feel the same way. Um, 
as a musician, as somebody who also organized events in the past. Um, yeah, working with a lot of the venues, the way the model has gone, um, it's a thankless task. It's and it's you can't really blame the venues because the rent's going up, so I understand where they're at. But as the artist, yeah, you bring in a lot of money into these places, and you don't. It's hard to see the money, and it's not about the money, but it's the amount of work that you have to bring in to bring in the people that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of feels like a pay to play after a while as an artist well so there's a paradox of these things or, mm-hmm. or kind of like a an understanding of what you intend to get out of it or what your purpose is so at a certain point i was meeting people that were dope and they needed to perform more they were only doing shows once every however often and if they were ever to get an opportunity to perform for a label executive advertise whatever they wouldn't be good performers right they had good material but we needed more stage time. And so I was in the idea of stage time, stage time, whatever it takes for us to do shows and just learn how to be better and learn how to run your own shows and learn how to book your own shows and learn how to set up arrangements with sponsors or vendors or however you want to do your shows. And then at a certain point, venues started closing and changing or places place wanted you to pay a room fee. And it's like, I get it. We pay $150 if 100 people show up and we charge $10, well, we can leave with $850 right. and split it amongst the band. But that's not what happens. It's like you pay $200 for the room fee, and you're paying for their security, their door person. They only give you a limited number of drink tickets. Let's say somehow you can magically get 100 people to come or something like that. You're doing all the promotion. The yeah. clubs don't tell anyone. So in order to get 100 people to come, you have to pay someone to make a flyer. You have to pay someone to go hand out flyers. And let's say you do only have four bands on the bill. Each one's going to bring out 25 people? Mm, probably not. Right. And so in order to get 100 people out, you might have to book six, seven bands. Let's say they each have an average of two to three people. So you got to pay out to 14 or 15 people off of, even if you did clear $800 on a great night. As a promoter, you still didn't make any money. Yeah. So there's no incentive for the promoter. The club doesn't give up anything because they don't really get paid off of the number of people that come. They get right. paid off your room fee. Yeah. So as long as every night they get the room fee and they sell their little minimum of 400 to $600 at the bar, they have to put in no effort. And they do three big shows a month that they care about, generate four to $5,000 in a night. So at over three or four of those events, they just made $15,000, $17,000. They have these other little dinky events that make five, $600. They pay their rent, they pay their staff, and don't care. And they have no curatorial involvement. They're just like, can you bring people out? So they, they do, they're picky. I'm not saying anyone can get a show. Right. Try to get shows in New York. See how much money you're going to have to spend. Yeah. But once you can prove that you bring people out, they don't care if you got like a monkey on a trapeze, you know, playing card games. At, you know, you can, you're going to pay this room fee? Thanks, sucker. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm just over that, you know, and not all the venues are like that. Again, Bizarre always had a good working relationship with them. When I was in Texas, one of the owners of it is a film director. So he hit me up like, yo, I'm in town. I see you're here. Come through. I got a ticket for you, you know. And so I see them outside of just the bar. They understand what we're working on more than just, oh, you bring these people out. Um, and so I still, I'm going to work with some venues, but right now I want to focus on the artists. I want to focus on the community. I want to focus on, like, my own personal art also. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, you grew up in DC. Um, I met you in New York in the late two thousands. 
mm-hmm. um, and McKibben, yep. um, a place where it was a lot of DIY stuff happening, a lot of um, artists. It was the artist loft place at the time. Um, when did you get to New York? Uh, so I moved here for the first time, 2001 and 2003. So, like, I grew up in D.C. until I was 18, lived in Atlanta from 18 to 23. I went to college in Morehouse. Um, when I finished college in Morehouse, I came up here for grad school at Columbia. So that was 2001. 2003, I went back to D.C., stayed there for, like, four years. And so the end of 2007, beginning of 2008, I came back to New York again, and this time in Brooklyn. When I was here 2001 to 2003, I was in, like, uptown, Washington Heights, Harlem. Um, and so I've been, like, living on McKibben since 2008. Okay. I remember, uh, actually the first time I, this is going to take you back. Uh, first time I saw you was at potion cafe, the open mic there. Um, and I still remember I had a pet butterfly. She had the most beautiful blue and purple wings. Mm. Yeah. That's what I remember. Um, and then I'd see you, we were turned out neighbors. Um, and, uh, I'd see that you were a photographer also. And then started to realize like, you were a multifaceted, um, like, you know, a lot of people, but I'd always see you doing something. So, like, uh, did you grow up as an M- like, did you start as an MC? Did you start as a photographer? What was kind of the trajectory there? Uh, well, when I was two years old. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, I got put in things. Like, my mom, single mother, worked a lot. Uh, and so I had to be occupied. Like, mm-hmm. like you're not allowed to just do nothing. Can't just sit you in front of the TV. So I got put in a lot of different activities. Was bad at a lot of them, and some of the things stuck with me. And so like, I played an instrument when I was young. Like she put me in violin lessons. Not good. Then I took cello. Not good. I took drums. Not good. But for that five or six year time period, I was in and out of music. Right. But I never did it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to practice. I wasn't. But you know, I must have been picking up some things. Um, then I got more into sports. And I played sports throughout like middle school and high school. Uh, I played lacrosse and football, and I started getting into hip hop more as like a listener. And by the end of college, by the end of high school, I wanted to try to rap. And I met some kids who did rap. And so probably by eleventh grade, I had tried to freestyle. By like twelfth grade, I was kind of like, oh, rap is interesting. Like I actually did some ciphers. I'm going to rap shows, but definitely did not publicly perform or do any of that type of stuff. Um, and by college, like within the first year, I went to this thing called Underground Live, and it was in Kilgore in the student center. Wow, I can't believe I remember this. And uh, I saw this group, Unknown Seeds, and my man Quam Scott, who had, uh, in the months prior, had been shot and put in a wheelchair, was in a group with these five cats that all rapped differently. Some were from Georgia, some were from Chicago, some were from Jersey, but all of them, charisma, lyrics, Vibes. I mean, just like, and it, it, it blew my mind. And I was like, yo, I want to really rap. Like, I thought coming to college, I would be the whole, you know, Morehouse, like, there's going to be people with shirt and ties and nerds, like, and these nerds rap, though. <laughs> yeah. And we're dope. And and my understanding of nerd changed also. But, like, so I really started pushing with music. And through music, I wanted to start documenting what was happening. And so photography came up. But I didn't like shooting people. I was doing film. And I would take a portrait of you. I didn't know anything about lighting. hadn't taken classes. And it never looked like how I saw you. So I went more to plants and scenery and things like still life. And, mm-hmm. and then took classes. And it just kept evolving. Like as music evolved, my interest in photography, videography, 
the other arts, performance art, um, curation, just developed kind of as a a way of, of further understanding how to convey ideas. Like rap is one vehicle, photography is one vehicle, me taking a space and transforming it and transmuting energy when people come into it and like giving off uh, an experience is another. Uh, being able to collaborate with so many people changes the art I make. I'm in a hip hop group now, but it's an acoustic guitarist in me. You What's know, that called? Uh, Parn Hash and Co. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, and so like, People might hear it and be like, he doesn't play hip-hop style. And it's like, yeah, but I rap for real. Right. So it's that's hip-hop to me. I'm in a synth wave group with me and my friend Jamal from No Surrender. And it's like ambient noise drone. And we like yell improvisational poetry at people. And someone tried to tell me it's not hip-hop. It definitely is because that's, that's what I do. But it, I know it's not Drake. I know it's not Jay-Z. I know it's not. I'm not trying to be Post Malone. Right. You know. And so I think. By doing photography, I got to go deeper into music. It's like to really answer your question, they both so intertwined in that like I was doing music, people were trying to charge us to take pictures, wanted us to look corny or do weird stuff in terms of like the image. And I was like, I want to own the image. Let me learn how to convey our image. But then through photography, I started making more money than I was in music. So I was able to shoot for all hiphop.com, double XL, things like that, and go into the offices, go to shows, go backstage at uh, whatever event, be a summer jam up in the in the box with the executives. So then I learned how music worked, and I was like, hell nah, I am not going into that madness. I have no interest in it, and it pushed my music more indie. The more I learned about the industry through doing photography, the more it pushed me to say, own your own content, do everything yourself that you f- can, and then find other like-minded people to do the things you don't want to do, don't know how to do, can't do, don't have the time to do, whatever else. And so inherently, it, it then changed my understanding of how to work as an artist from like hierarchy of boss and employee or mentor mentee to like, we are collaborative. We have to both want to do this or all four of us want to do this. All have things to gain, things to lose, but be in the same push, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the, the, the photo and video and music all just ping pong. Cause then I meet artists who need photos. Like, you know, we'd hang out, I'd take pictures. Yeah. Someone sees that I'm like, yo, I need, you know, headshots. Then I meet a new music, m- new musician. And it's like, yo, let's jam together. Thin, and it just keeps spiraling. Yeah. Look, and I'm I'm f- never gonna be able to just do one thing. I think I'm kind of programmed to like keep seeking. And, and and but each they're not disparate parts. It's not. I don't want to do anything that's unattached to what I'm currently doing. Mm-hmm. Each thing should inform the other or influence the other or have some perspective. You know. What would you advise uh, for the youngsters? Um, just what would you advise somebody new to New York um, wanting to get into music in this day and age? <laughs> wow. That is first thing. I don't know if I should ever tell anybody anything um, because I am wild. Like, my y'all have to understand, I'm anti capitalist. Like, I'm saying burn the system. I'm not saying. Money isn't useful. I'm not saying I don't understand that we exchange and we need goods and services. What I'm saying is companies poison people to make money. I'm unwilling to do that. And most people have accepted that as a normal state of business affairs. So already when you talk to me about your life, you're probably not going to be willing to do what I say do. I'm going to say be poor. I'm going to say if you love something, give up everything for it and you'll probably be happier. But not everyone's built for that. And I won't make everyone happy. And so for me, if you have to find your alignment, you have to, if you're the type of person that really 
wants to rap about popping bottles in a club and this and that and that, get ready for that lifestyle. Be prepared to understand how that business works. And also understand you might try to be promoting that lifestyle and you might not actually ever be able to afford and, that lifestyle. And I don't think that's a true alignment then. Yeah. Like I think there there are people who can do these things and they're supposed to. Like they're mm. they're it's not bad that you have the spectrum of humanity represented in hip hop. But when or any type of music, but when I'm looking at young musicians, if they're unwilling to try to play instruments and think the only way you can make music is with a computer, I can't tell you not to do that, but that's I wasn't given that leeway. Mm-hmm. And I think they're valuable lessons you learn in doing analog and doing digital. Um, if I were to tell young people, do it for love, yeah, but your landlord does not get paid in love. So I do it for love. Like There's not a single part of me that raps thinking what I'm going to say is about to make me some money or not. But I know I have to do other things to give me that luxury, which means I have to have some type of job or some type of way of making income that I find acceptable. And that alignment allows me to keep doing it. Like I've met artists who get big and burn out. They never want to go in the studio again. They hate rap. They hate music. They hate the industry of it. And they're now contractually bound into things so that if they ever tried mm. to make more, they have issues. I've met other people that have careers, you know, that span 15, 20 years and no one's ever heard of them. And they tour or they are studio musicians or they get brought in on radio, television, and film projects, video games, who knows the ways they've found uh, to, a way to make a living, but they have. And so I know all that's out there. And so it's up to the, the young artists to really pick a path, go hard. If it switches, go with the switch. If you want to be hard-headed and don't switch, be persistent. Do the same thing 25 years. It's up to, there is no one solution, you know? And, and I don't know what will be the future to tell people what to do now. Like, right. like all I know is what's happened with me. What I can tell you is anytime a motherfucker gives you a whole lot of money, you won't be able to dictate what you do with the money. They will tell you what happens with it. Anytime you sign paperwork that says exclusivity, perpetuity, or universality, you're about to have a problem. Anytime another person gets to tell you where to be, what you have to do, what you can and cannot say, what to wear, you have to understand the consequences of that. Other than that, it's it's like a, a trial by fire process. Like just go hard. Like do not wait. Like there's there's no magical hand of the industry that's about to come give you a big check. You know, any young person, go harder than everyone else around you. Do what the people are unwilling to do. If I mean for me, man, I'm I'm on some I'll carry the equipment to the show, show up early, set up the equipment, run the equipment during the show, break down the equipment, perform during the show, host the show, clean up the garbage after plant the flowers beforehand, you know, whatever, man. Like, we got to do the show. Um, let's do the show. But it has to make sense. It has to be content I support. Like, I'm not bringing up people anymore who you want to be disrespectful to women all the time in your raps. I'm not going to carry all that equipment and do all this to set up for you to say that. I'm not going to invite all my female friends or, or and, and people that are just not interested in the misogyny to hear that and get bombarded with it. They get that in regular stuff. That's not what we're here to do. So it's just like find your boundaries also as a young person people will try to take advantage of you because uh, they can see how hungry you are when you're a musician it's it's like <laughs> the worst in a dude in the strip club like it's so obvious the thirst they're like i'll do anything to make music and so it's like really should you do everything to make music or anything um but get good the the number one sorry this is so much I, no nah, this is great 
but there's the, the be better than than yourself. Like it's not like a competition with other people. I would definitely say erase this idea of competition. There's so seven billion people in the world. You have so many options for how people can accept your art or music. But you have, I think, the level of seriousness and your commitment and your drive and your awareness that you may be a unique snowflake where you are now, but when you try to take this stuff to the world, you're competing with Jay-Z, Nas, Sony, Marvel, and even though you think you're indie and everyone knows they're big, it doesn't matter anymore. We're all on the same platform. When you go to YouTube, I'm right next to the people that have $400 million budgets. When I play my music on Spotify, I'm right next to people that have $90,000 market, 90, $90, marketing budgets. How do I stand out? I at least better be really good. I at least better, my, yeah. you know, better figure out something. Do you worry about, uh, that just made me think about net neutrality, because mm -hmm. one of the great things right now mm -hmm. is that it's kind of an open, obviously, other people have resources that push their, but it is an open thing where you can see, I can find you just yeah. as easy as I can find somebody else. The, uh, I feel like the internet is, is like the land rush. So everything's open right now, and the USA used to be like, if you can control the land, we'll give it to you. Mm -hmm. As long as you can turn it into something useful. And then they started being like, okay, that's over. Now it costs you money. And now we're going to tax it. And now we're going to blah, 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 blah. And so, like, yeah, that's going to happen with the internet, and it's horrible. It's going to suck because we're in the frontier of it. We're going to be the people saying, I remember when. <laughs> I can be myself. Like, yeah, this is, a, I think, a great time where we can be ourselves. Yeah. And, and and if I can figure out a way to market it right, I can get to a lot of different people. But I'm also a fan of do it in real life also. So I'm like, the primitivism and the kind of naturalness of art and music and exchange of ideas amongst people needs to happen without electricity sometimes. It needs to happen without anything plugged in. It needs to happen without any awareness that something will be done with it. You just do it. And the other awesome elements to, well, if we do record that, it can go all the way to China or Argentina or Nairobi or, you know, places. And, and in real life, you can travel the world doing that by connecting to those communities first. You've we done that. We, we like to, I'd like to think that more people will be able to do that. I'm relatively lucky in the sense that I already have a passport and I live in the U.S. so I can go a lot of countries other people can't. Right. Which, you know, gets in other issues of the craziness of our world. Like, butterflies can cross boundaries that humans can't anyway. Um, but yeah, I think like that's that's the benefit of the technology. I'm not a hater of technology at all. I'm on some futurist, like, let's get it. Cryptocurrency, let's get it. Now, I didn't invest all my money in it though. <laughs> you know, uh, we'll see how that pans out. But trying to get my music out i'm waiting for some technology to emerge or help create some that bypasses spotify i'm not putting my music on spotify i'm not paying any company like TuneCore or anything like that to put my music on itunes for me to get a point oh 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 five cent share on every time it's played because in order for it to get played thirty thousand times for me to make any money i have to spend a lot of marketing money and so now that doesn't balance the money i spent to even record my album pay the musicians to be on it, pay the mixing and the engineer to then pay the distributor to not make any money and hope someone hears it on some playlist that's already popular. And I do things that aren't popular. My way of rapping is never on a popular playlist. The genre of rap I do, the way I rap is never on any type of popular playlist. 
I have no <clears throat> orientation of the concept of I'm going to drop a song and it's going to get 400,000 views. No, they're not. Nothing like what I do ever gets that many views. And so I better be able to take it live. I better be able to show up at your crib and in front of five people show you that I've rapped for real. I better but you consistently do throw live shows in yes. real life, like in New York. Yes. In Bushwick. All the time, hundreds. Yeah. We'll take it to your face. We, we, I'm definitely, I'll show up, pop up in your living room, your backyard, your rooftop, doing shows. You got a venue, smash the club. Like, I, we, we will definitely throw shows. And I have. Like, I like doing venues. I like when we can bring in live bands and, and really, like, do some fun, fun events. But right now, I want more connectivity. You know? You've been pretty much, I think, from the time I met you, you've been pretty much able to support yourself full time as an artist. Am I right? Not to say, you know, I do. It, you'd be surprised the type of jobs I've had. I have not had a full time job in I don't know how long, probably a decade or something yeah. like that. It's not longer. But I currently work with a startup company and I set up shows. There we go. And I only get paid if the shows go well. And if I do things that no one else is doing with the people I'm working with. So it's not a thing of now I get a guaranteed check and I don't have to worry about things. It's like, nah, if I don't get up every day and work towards booking shows, I'm not going to be able to pay rent. Outside of that, I also still do photography and under charge. But I'd much rather the artists I'm working with get quality photos, not get beat in the head, and learn how to shoot and learn how to have a little bit of money to spend on other parts of the marketing thing instead of blowing four or five hundred dollars on a photo shoot that they don't have um i do some shoots that are budgeted closer to five six eight hundred dollars usually with professional artists or with companies or corporations that have that budget and they are going to be able to make way more than that off of how they utilize the photos right. <laughs> you know um and, and, you know, I've done an exchange with Rack Shack just because, like, I support and I've known y'all and, and seeing young entrepreneurs and women that run their own businesses. I'll contribute my photos for free and have to go figure out another way to make money that month. But that's only one day. And so that means I might be able to pick up a job for my friend doing sound. Someone bails on something because I know how to run the equipment. I get a quick 50 or $100 to come through and plug in some cables and make sure nothing goes wrong at the show. Um, some of the events can make money, rarely, if... Let's say you do an event with, you know, 60 people show up and they average $10 per person buying drinks. Most venues don't start giving you a percentage of the bar until you break 500. And so even then, I would have made $60 that night. And the amount of effort it takes to get 60 people out and for them to actually spend that money and not ask you for drink tickets, da, 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 it, it's, I get paid, it's like Dwayne Reed rates. Like I make like $8 an hour, $11 yeah. an hour working with venues. Um, but I like it, so I work. <laughs> like I, I like art and music. I like meeting people. I like talking to people. I like learning about people that are different than me. I like the fact that it's not a rock thing. It's not a hip-hop thing. It's not a metal thing. It's not a visual art thing. It's literally like, if you spin fire, I fucks with it. If you dance, let's rock out. If you make music, if you're a vocalist, if you're a painter, if you do interior design, architecture, virtual reality, coding, like I'm into the creative spirit. Uh, so I, I have to stay busy. Um, and, and some of those things sometimes make money. So if I keep doing a lot and <laughs> make a little bit of money every day, every two or three days, things kind of work out. But I'll do whatever, man. If you need your dog walk, like, just as long as the money's right in terms of time and effort and how close, like, you need me to 
go read to your grandmother and like I probably do that for free. But then if you want to tip me, that's cool. <laughs> like <laughs> I've done a lot of different jobs to support this. Yeah. Yeah. But like day jobs, one offs, like week long gigs. Is there anything? Uh, what What's your perspective on Bushwick, like now and then, like and uh, the future? Do you think? Uh, definitely changed a lot over the last uh 10 years um but i feel like like you're still here i'm still here there's still people around and i still think there's a lot of culture um mm-hmm. here um, do you have any thoughts on i guess it's the responsibility of the people that are here to continue what they see as valuable and Nothing stays the same. New York cannibalizes itself. So, like, the Lower East Side was awesome, and that awesomeness brought in people that ate it. And that's what's happening throughout Brooklyn. And so either you set up your little flag in the ground and go hard and get your 10- or 15-year lease and do what you can for these next 10 or 15 years, or, I, I don't know, like, support the people that are doing that um, if there are things that I would like to see continue, I'd love to see the the live music continue out here. So many new venues are opening, and they're just bars. They're just, like, screens, and people hang out. And I'd love to see that tradition of how when traveling acts were coming from Rhode Island or Boston or Maine or D.C. or Virginia, they could hit Sputnik, or they could hit um, Five Spot, or they could hit... Um, 265 Kent or Glasslands or it's Spike crazy Hill. crazy how many, I mean, Webster Hall is closed. Like, yeah. it's crazy how many, like, Manhattan venues also are just yeah. closing, oh. too. Um, Cake Shop, we were doing stuff down there. It closed. Spike Hill, yeah. yeah. And so all those places closed. What they were doing, though, had an importance culturally. Mm-hmm. And it helped unify an independent music scene along the East Coast and even for Midwest acts coming out. And help facilitate things like CMJ starting because there were these venues that only fit the 85 people so they didn't have to have a special license and whatever else. That's something special. But you can't pay a $13,000 a month rent fitting 80 people a night for a live music show. Yeah. And so there's going to have to be some involvement from the city to do historical preservation of certain buildings or buy buildings that they allow young people to run and do it the way the young people want to do. And that means there'll have to be activism. There'll have to be young artists who care about the environment in which they're in and people who aren't artists but also just supporters of the arts or friends or family or whatever that push change or that speak out about what matters to them in their neighborhoods. I mean, we hear about gentrification all the time and doesn't stop it. It doesn't mean people are like, oh, now that we've talked about it, let's stop it from happening. It's just like, cool, we talked about it. You notice it? Yep. And now what? <laughs> like, yeah. you know. Um, but I'm not. I'm I'm happy with how much I've seen happen out here. I feel really lucky to have seen a lot of the music and a lot of the art, and it would have almost been ridiculous to expect it to last for 20 years straight or something. Like yeah. that, you know. As Hate and Ashbury wasn't for 20 years straight. Right. They're just little little time periods. I happen to be lucky enough to get dropped in one. Yeah. Um, and, and folks are out here. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so let's see. You got Bushwick Wildlife Summer Festival coming up again this summer. Um, where can people submit? Or I'm sure you're not. Are you taking submissions for that yet? Or 
actually, I was working on it before I got here. Uh, the it will be the sixth annual Brooklyn Wildlife Summer Festival. This year, I'm going to add a non-centralized component to it. So using Artery, which is the startup I work with, we're going to do house shows, so like living room shows or backyard shows in different cities throughout the festival while we have shows in New York. Nice. And uh, last year, we did a version of it where we did two or three shows the, the final day of the festival, not at clubs, but in different people's houses. So if you lived up in the Bronx, if you lived far out in like Red Hook or like East New York and couldn't make it to where the venue was, there would be a house party, you know, for eight or 10 people, 10, 15 people, where you could still hang out and see some music. So we're going to try that like in different cities this time. And um, we expanded the dates. So now it's the 31st of August until the 9th of September. So it's like Friday to Sunday. Uh, so now it's, I think, 10 days, nine or 10 days instead of just seven. Started out as a one-day festival. And we really want to take the spirit of CMJ, South by Southwest, Winter Music Conference, Scribble Jam, um, Spit Kickers Tour, like those things that really had the essence and return to that. And before it got big, before those things had corporate involvement, but where they really were this hotbed for new indie, exciting, progressive art, music, culture, and people. And where you could just go see so much music in a week and be inspired by it and not be about this company's house or this company's event with free giveaways or this company's big plastered sign everywhere but literally just music and art and people all over the place. Uh, so that's what we're going for. We got to go hard because um, it's all indie, no corporate sponsors. I pay for it all by myself. Most of the acts volunteer their time. So like I'm starting a little earlier than normal with the, with the push. We're going to be launching the applications this weekend. Actually, I was writing it nice. on my way here. Um, and yeah, and I'm excited. I'm excited. We're going to going hard i just got back from south by southwest uh for probably the by the club. time this drops those will be and i'll give an update on that awesome yeah 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 we're on it <laughs> um so where can people where's the best place for people to find you at and find your projects at bkwildlife.com yeah like brooklyn wildlife on facebook christoph Carr on facebook come find me um I go hard on Facebook. I'm going to warn you, if you get on my page, be prepared for a political talk. We're about I'm, to... I'm with it. I, I see it. <laughs> we go hard. I mean, I got in this bike crash a year, year and a half ago or so, and uh, I, I just going through this existential crisis of like, yo, if I don't say it now, when will I get the chance to? Or if I don't do it now, when will I get the chance to? Or I could die at any moment and not even know I died. And I'm, I'm unsettled with that. And so there's a lot. Did you I, say what you meant to say while you were here? That's like, is that like the question? Here, like today, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I mean, in oh, 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 no, no, no. The existential crisis is just even bigger than that. It's like, what's the? You don't want to do this, but it's it's the it's the throne theory of like, all right, so we're here. What's the purpose of being here? And if inherently being here implies death, well, that's an awesome end game. And if other people like being mean and aggressive and evil and that turns into like the society you live in to where people are rewarded for meanness instead of like let's make this life better for people while we have it then what's your purpose in it especially when you're in a place like new york and work in an entertainment field where 
calling women bitches is like status quo or people being like, I can't hire her. She's fat is okay. Cause I do photography or, you know, all these elements of negativity. What am I doing? Why don't I move to a middle of nowhere place? Teach. I've learned enough stuff by now. I could probably get a job somewhere teaching something and not deal with any of this madness in New York. Well, to me, that's being a sucker. Like I need to go hard, buck up. And the fact that I've had these experiences, let's take it to the people. So my central crisis is like how to get it to the people, like how to not be driven by meanness, anger, hate, and reactionary feelings, but how to do it out of love, how to take all these questions, all these ideas, all these things I notice as imbalance and like misfortune and figure out a way to be like, there's beauty in all this stuff. Let's take the beauty of the world and be moved by purpose of love and beauty and not the purpose of fight and destroy, you know, like burn the system is how I kind of feel. Mm -hmm. But what I'm really saying is like, build something. Yeah, we have something. There's something available to us. We're not able to get to because of this blockade. So how do we get around the blockade, over the blockade, through the blockade, under the blockade, you know, like firebomb it. Like, I don't know, but we got to start getting, there's something else there and I know it's there. And, uh, that's part of my existential crisis. Like, what is it? We can't even really see it. I just know there's something there we're not accessing and there's a lot in between and navigating the, the process is, there's no manual, you know? Um, and so right now I figure one way is to be honest, be truthful, be direct with people. Like how can any of us make decisions if none of us know the state of the world around us? Or, or how can I know how to interact with you in an honest and authentic way if I never tell you what I really think? Because I'm afraid I'm going to offend you. Or because I'm afraid you won't understand me. Or like, fear, fear, fear. You know, like I, I want to figure out, like, like in, in my discussions and in my art and in my events that I'm doing, is like how to get through these things. How to, how to, and it, it's somewhat selfish for me. It's like how to gain a better understanding of the world I'm placed in, you know, and how to, how to figure out a better way to contribute to the world that I'm placed in and be an active participant in it and not look at it like things happen to me. Like obviously after an accident, it's like, blame myself. I ran into a pole. Or how this happened to me. This accident popped up nowhere, messed up all my plans for the next six months. Neither one of those is really helpful. And so it's like the crisis has been, well, how much do you say my, my actions in life need to change if I want to get to a certain place? And how much do I need to start saying, you know what, don't stress out about certain things, man. You've, like, life is a beautiful thing. Think of all the great people, like awesome people, not great like famous, but like nice, human, like cool humans you've met doing this art music thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like look at how much like value there is in the experiences you've already had, you know? And so that's that's been a lot of, I think, my take on when I'm going at Facebook now. It's like, let's get it. Let's get some real feelings out. Let's get these real conversations. When we see each other in person, now let's talk about it because now you're too, you didn't want to say anything on the internet, but now in person you will. Uh, in person, you didn't want to say anything, so you right. said it on the internet. But whatever, let's get through it. Let's hash it out. And in real community, unfortunately, in, in the communities where I grew up, there were people that were violent to their spouses. But they were still part of the community. You had to figure out how to protect the spouses and the victims and the survivors and a way to reintroduce people back in once they've decided to not just apologize, but once they've actually made changes and are trying to better their lives. And in our community, it's really hard to figure out, like, when people mess up, what do we do? Just ostracize them or just accept it and act like it doesn't happen? 
And part of my Facebook approach now is antagonizing some of these gray areas that need to be, because there are people I was around four years ago that may have been involved in a robbery where I'd been like, I never want to be around them ever again. And they've totally changed their lives around. But if I had totally broken off communication, would I know that? And should I be open to that life change or should I just cut them off forever? Like I'm never recording with them again because they were involved in something I want nothing to do with. I don't know. So I, I like antagonizing some of those like real life. Yeah, we're grown, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like everything is not sweet candy out here. And how do we deal with that in our community? You know, as, as we do get older. Hmm. Well, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're, uh, you've been doing it though, man. And I, I really appreciate you coming in here. Um, you feel good about this so far? Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm very happy with this, man. I'm glad I've been able to have a discussion with a person that I've known for a while. Sometimes I do these discussions and I'm comfortable, but it's not a discussion. It's like I'm doing my Bill O'Reilly. I came in here with a platform. No matter what you're going to say, I got something I came to talk about. And today, that's not what happened. I came in here, no idea what I was going to say, what you wanted to talk about, and we just had a discussion. Nice. Um, I want to give you the last word, um, just anything you want to say, however you want to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. I was hoping you would, man. Oh, get him. <laughs> Let me see if, if my phone is still low battery. Yes. So my rap name is Stonehenge Parnhashnikovsky. Just to give everyone a brief understanding, uh, as an MC, I've been rapping since like maybe 98, 99. Taking it seriously, it's definitely since 2000, 2001. I was in a group called Project Lumens with my man Aaron. He needs to win an Emmy also because he's on Brick. He's an amazing on-air on personality. Uh, but he and I rapped for a couple years. Then I used to work with my homie Tony, who's in Atlanta. Other homie, Ty, that's in D.C. Shout out to Rosetta Stone. Shout out to my man, Keith, who I started Brooklyn Wildlife with. We had a group called Watercolor. Um, shout out to Taekwon Sounds and QC and all the homies, Ohene, all the people from the early era of You're Brooklyn Wildlife. You're taking me back with all the incarnations. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so we've been doing this for a second. I just want to say thank you to all the folks that rock with us for so many years, for real. Um, I'm going to try this poem. Get it. I'll do a short one. You can do whichever one you want, brother. All right. This is for your family of prosperous partridges and a pear tree squabbling and squawking. Take a walk and cross the bridge. Come visit me in a land of the white folks that bury their heads like an ostrich. I bury the dead in the Acropolis and see the bluebird bathing in hot springs chirping and calling while monkeys stay motionless at the monolith. I stay stubborn as donkeys giving offerings so often for all the lost kids. The design described is for peasants that are not kings and each line depicts a strategy for success. No attrition in a war against humanity except death so carefree dare me to try to save the goslings with a rock and a sling for Francis Scott Key. I got the answer to the pop quiz. Be public enemy number one like Chuck D and Hank Shock Lee. Good gosh, my head is foggy. Get the floodlights and peep the irony that the progeny hate the offspring of the osprey. I speak for a caged bird that sings these notes off-key, but I write these notes for an albatross lost at sea. These culture vultures scavenge the carcass of everything I see as godly, godly. My head is heavy like a metal ring, so get the poppies at top speed and see me break the sound barrier without Harriers or Lockheed. 
Now let's get it popping like hot grease. The conflict we have is not beef because y'all are sheep and I'm not caught up in the predator or prey proxy. My moxie ain't foxy, more like alien autopsy. But chill, chicken little, the sky ain't falling, keep it cool as Gandhi. I stay independent to the gold wing, I do not sleep. Peregrine Falcon with a millennia of experiential wingspan, watch me break lock and key. I had the beef from Broccoli Wally's while y'all was talking about popping mollies and cocking shotties. I've been the most salty, melancholy oddity trying to figure out how to get this music from my block in Brooklyn to Bosnia-Herzegovina out to Bali. The personification of insomnia, but keep my cheap clothing looking fresh like dress shirts on Easter. And if you come to my play party, be prepared for the fact that I'm Polly, probably oxymoronic with a twisted plot scheme to throw a wrench in a machine of the rock scene. A Luddite that will rap in his sock feet, rolling up the pot leaf, strolling up your concrete, holding up the bomb fleets like a kamikaze. But all I want is calm, peace. Yeah. And so check the metaphors. There are a lot of bird references in the beginning. With the, that's the, when you go back and hear it, listen for the different animals. But yeah, Parnhash. Thank you very much, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's awesome. Peace. So that was my conversation with Chris Carr. I told you he was cool. You weren't ready for them bars at the end, were you? <laughs> Performers, stay tuned for the 6th Annual Brooklyn Wildlife Summer Festival happening this year at the end of August, beginning of September. This is supposed to be a multi-city event this year, so hit them up and get involved. If you want to get involved or appear on this podcast, get in touch with us at bushwickvarietyshow.com or on social media and or subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you for listening. And we'll be releasing these every Monday and Thursday. Have a good one, and let's have another conversation soon. Peace.